be suspicious of whether apparently good people are really good. DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain What does it take to be a top 20 political blogger? How do you persuade traditional thinkers to adopt digital marketing strategies? And what's the future for journalists? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask today's special guest, Mark Pack. Mark, welcome to DMR. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, um, you're most welcome. Mark is an associate director at Blue Rubicon, an award-winning consultancy that transforms the reputations of some of the world's biggest organisations. He's also visiting lecturer at City University in London in the journalism department. So, Mark, you've marketed using YouTube, Facebook and Twitter to name just a few activities. But is the written word still your favourite communications medium? Oh, that's a good question. I think the written word in many ways is the toughest communications medium. So quite often if you're busy, if you're stressed, if you've got too many things to do, I wouldn't necessarily say it always feels like my favourite, but there's no doubt the written word is still immensely powerful. Um, and in fact, very often the most successful use of, for example, social media channels is to promote the written word, is to share, is to engage, is to respond, but is all centred around having some good uh, in-depth written words as the piece of content that you're then generating bars engagement discussion and sharing for. Right, okay. Um, so uh, the written word not dying out anytime soon then? I certainly hope not. Certainly <laughs> not. So do you think that um, the style of communication online that you use, i.e. videos or, or pictures or, or, or written word in some format, should depend on your customer base or should it depend on the abilities of the people producing the content? I think it's important to try to bear your audience in mind all the time. So what is the format that will suit them? What is the style that will suit them? And also communicate your issues, your messages, your branding most effectively. And I mean, a good example of that is the use of footnotes. You know, if you're flicking through a set of books, the ones with footnotes immediately seem more credible. They immediately seem more authoritative. Um, whether it's having footnotes in electronic uh, communications or whether it's having hyperlinks through to authoritative sites and you know, whether you do it in a sort of traditional or more modern way those sorts of considerations about the format i think are you know are really important in terms of the impression that you give and the trap that is so easy to fall into is to forget all of that and instead produce something in the format that suits you or whoever you've got working on producing the format which is why it's so important to always remember the audience first and foremost Right, okay, that's an interesting tip actually because obviously blogging really first became particularly popular with pings and, and, and trackbacks, mm. um, obviously referencing other people's um, blog articles yourself from your own blog post mm. and then that process um, automatically alerted the original poster of the mm. content and, and they possibly checked you out and perhaps commented on your article as well. Is, is that a process you think is, is still utilised now or, or is, is it not quite so important now with the advent of social media? 
I think in spirit it still is. The technology around pingbacks was always just a little bit too technical, a little bit too clunky, the appearance of pingback information a little bit too ugly to really take off. But in a sense, that is what happens now. People write maybe a blog post about uh, that mentions somebody and then they send a tweet and they have the app. You know, Twitter name in the tweet so the person they've written about knows that they've been written about and obviously the motivation sometimes is publicity because you hope well if I mention this person in the piece maybe they'll retweet the tweet and get it to an audience it might be sometimes showing off it might be sometimes to show that you disagree a whole range of motivations but whatever the motivations are I think through things like Twitter through things like tagging people on on Facebook and so on you can achieve what the pingback technology lets you achieve and I think those are probably much more important now although obviously the the, the diligent uh, viewer of website stats will very much notice when someone has produced a link and if it's you know driving traffic through to them I mean I find it just on my own personal blog uh, www.markpack.org.uk just quite interesting every now and again the slightly bizarre and weird places that I've been mentioned or something that I've written has been referenced um, perhaps the strangest is I discovered uh, an alternative history fiction writing site where people sort of amateur authors write fictional political history and decided to use my name as one of the political characters <laughs> so it was it was really odd reading of other people's fictional accounts of what they thought I might be like um, which I'm still not quite sure how to take but that you know came through me looking the Google Analytics saying oh there are some there's some traffic coming through through from this site that I haven't heard of I wonder what it is so I think in all those other different technical ways the, the essence of pingbacks is still with us even if the pingback technology itself is not really central to it right okay and RSS of course um, was another mm. technology that really came to the fore with mm. blogging uh, maybe it's seven or eight years mm. ago or so um, perhaps it was more common to see that RSS icon on blogs with that request mm. to subscribe to that blog via RSS use some RSS software mm. but um, it never really completely took on to the the general public no and i mean that puzzles me in a way because uh you know at work i'm often showing colleagues how to use feedly which is very much my preferred mm. web rss reader these days in terms of how they can use it to make their jobs more efficient more effective make it easier to keep on top of media monitoring make it easier to keep on top of new information that that they need to have come to them conveniently and so the basic concept of rss and rss readers is still hugely powerful hugely effective and I would say it's it's a pretty rare month that goes past without there being a handful of people I've mentioned Feedly or other RSS technologies to and they found it a useful way of you know, making their life easier, quicker, more efficient, more effective. Um, but it's yet, yeah, it never really caught off as a mass as a mass medium. Having said that, of course, behind the scenes in terms of using RSS to syndicate content between sites, it's a key technology that helps glue all sorts of different bits of the internet together uh, but certainly you know if any of, of your listeners haven't got into the swing of using an rss reader i would highly recommend it because it is such a great way of making your online reading and monitoring more effective so were you surprised when google reader shut down yeah because it was good it was reliable there aren't many rivals and you can see if you've got a dedicated audience that is revealing through its choice of rss feeds which topics are of most interest to it surely that audience will be you know ripe for google google advertising and for google to be able to make money out of um so i was surprised and disappointed although then that forced me to discover feedly and i'm um, you know now actually dare i say it prefer feedly to google <laughs> reader as was so i guess it's turned out not so badly for 
for everyone concerned, except unfortunately those those few engineers who were left working on Google Reader who were still the true believers in it. Mm. I'm one of these um, previous RSS um, subscribers, actually, who um, used... Google Reader on an ad hoc basis, mm. um, but um, and then I tried Feedly a bit, tried maybe a couple of others, and um, have started tweeting again a little bit more, and perhaps um, relying on that, and perhaps email subscriptions to to keep an eye on on what's happening. But um, maybe I'll get back to RSS at some point. I, I don't think it's going to completely die, of course. And as you point out, of course, the technology um, is essential in terms of mm. disseminating content from a blog to um, other blog aggregator sites, other different um, um, RSS directory sites, and of course, um, disseminating podcasts um, like this one to places like um, iTunes. Um, Apple wouldn't hear of um, as soon as an episode is published Mm, without RSS. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, and, you know, in terms of being able to do things like automatically turn new posts that appear on a site into an email, into alerts and so on, you know, RSS is the sort of technology behind so many useful, convenient things. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so many great email services do RSS to email, so Mm. perhaps if you blog on a regular basis, you can put a summary of your five or so latest blog articles automatically to people through RSS to email services. Indeed, a a good tip on that is MailChimp, the online web email service, has a really convenient RSS to email generator option. So you can, if you run a website and you want to produce, let's say, a daily digest email that people can subscribe to to get the headlines and links through to all the new posts that appeared that day, really easy to set up with MailChimp, requires minimal of technical knowledge as ever if you're able to hack around with html code and css and so on you can make your email a little bit more better and a little bit customized to to your exact needs but the basic technology courtesy of mailchimp and rss is really easy to do so you became a really popular political blogger in the uk um was that really because of the content that you kept on um uh, dishing out on a regular basis or um did you interact in other blogs and do a lot of commenting yourself How, what do you think was the core activity that um, ended up making that blog so popular um i guess there was partly a sort of fairly early mover advantage i mean when blogging initially took off i was working at liberal democrat party hq and so what i could do under my own name you know personally was obviously a little bit restricted in that sense but i was spending a lot of time helping colleagues in the party parliamentarians and so on uh, get on to blogging and other developing internet channels back then um but then when i you know was able to begin to do a little bit more myself um i helped uh, rob fennick create originally liberal democrat voice which which very quickly became the most read liberal democrat blog there were two or three other very good ones in the early days but it was really rob's dedication and persistence that made lib dem voice the standout successful one and and you then get that advantage of well if that's the one that everyone reads that's the one that everyone wants to contribute to and comment on and everyone and you get a a, a degree of success which which i think you know myself when i was one of the Lib Dem voice editorial team and sort of the successors i think my successors as well always feel a little bit embarrassed about because in a way it would be great to have lots of really good liberal democrat bloggers and the risk is you end up cannibalizing right. um the sort of the blog market as it were if one site ends up being you know too dominant within that niche so that's always something to uh, to be aware of if you're trying to build a wider broader community although obviously in a lot of more sort of conventional marketing 
uh, areas. Actually, if you end up cannibalizing the market, that's great because <laughs> that's what you want to do. Mm. So, so what year was that then that the blog started to be particularly popular? That's very good. Well, we're actually recording this on the day of Lib Dem Voices' eighth anniversary. Right. Uh, so way back in 2006. Um, and I mean, it's slightly scary to think I, I ran the Liberal Democrat online operation in the general elections of 2001 and 2005. And, you know, back then, originally, you know, YouTube didn't exist Twitter didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. You know, so many of these things that are now the absolute basic building blocks of online activity and marketing just didn't exist when I was when I was first doing those things. And yet that's only a couple of general elections ago, which I think helps explain why if people are looking at politics and sometimes thinking, you know, are political parties uh, up with the latest technology and so on, it's worth remembering actually you know, for, for, from this being completely non-existent to being a really dominant part of their necessary communications activities, it, it's happened in only a couple of general elections. That's quite incredible, actually, because um, it makes you think what um, new services, new brands might start in the next couple of years and might become even bigger than f- f- Facebook or Twitter. It's, it's, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm always reminded of uh, one of the scenes from uh, Ridley Scott's film Blade Runner, where when he originally did the film, he thought, well, what are the big brands that I'll use? You know, the logos we'll have on things that will clearly be the companies that are going to be around in the future. And it was companies like Atari and Pan Am, (laughs) all of which have long since, long since gone. Uh, So understanding longevity, you know, predicting longevity is a really tough one. Mm. I suspect we're at the stage a bit like where we got with desktop computers and Microsoft a few years ago, where we've got a few really big players who are so dominant, and because of their dominance, they're able to set de facto standards and expectations, and they have all the network effect benefits of because they use them, other people want to use them, etc. That I think just as, you know, Microsoft and Windows from having got its initial period of dominance has continued to absolutely dominate that operating system market that we're probably there with the main social networks but of course it's always possible one of them will will go through a period of of management madness uh, or (laughs) technological catastrophe but it's really quite hard now to move i mean supposing you were to decide tomorrow that you really hated twitter where would you move to Mm. i mean there are other services that offer similar technical functionality but where is the community you know you you can only move in a sense if you can uproot a whole load of your friends and colleagues at the same time as well Mm. so there's this real i think strong gravitational like pull that the the really successful networks have now and where we're seeing much greater churn is in those places where that gravitational pull hasn't yet really fully developed so hence a lot more vibrancy and a lot harder to be sure who are going to be the big players in the latest version of the instant messaging market, for example. Right. Okay. I, I reckon the biggest chance of a new brand coming in and, and actually disrupt, disrupting the marketplace probably would be if there was a sudden change in the way that the internet in general was used. Because obviously we saw that possibly around 2007 or so with the shift towards social media. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously now with the shift towards mobile, um, mm-hmm. and there's there's greater opportunity for the app store. And um, obviously it's essential for websites to have responsive design nowadays as well. And, and perhaps when social media first came on the scene, Google were a little bit slow to react like um, Microsoft were at the dawn of the internet. Yeah, I I mean, I guess what helped Microsoft out, and I suspect will help the current sort of behemoths out, 
is that Microsoft had huge amounts of money. Hmm. And therefore, although it was slow to adapt to the Internet, it could then throw the money at it and you know overtake, replace, displace Netscape. Uh, for all, the Internet Explorer was never really that brilliant a product. They were able to throw the resources at making up for their their slowness. So I do wonder, you know, when whether it's Google Glass or some other version of that sort of visual-based interface where you control it through your gestures and through your eyes, maybe there will be some new social network that will tap into that style of doing things really successfully and therefore get a really good head start. Uh, but then, yeah, the likes of Facebook, Twitter, etc., will have big bank balances to be able to dip into to whether it's buy up the really successful firm or whether it's to imitate and then to overtake. Um, so I suspect the, the the big players are now are now here for the long haul, just as previously, you know, when IBM got to a certain level of dominance, it was then there for the long haul and is now still with us, albeit in slightly different form. Likewise, Microsoft, likewise, indeed, Apple. So now the big player for blogging is probably WordPress. Mm. Um, back in 2006, when you started blogging, was it WordPress you were using or was it another platform? Uh, Blogger was the, which which ended up being owned by Google, was mm. originally, I think, much, much more popular. And that was that was certainly the platform used for some of the early blogs I did with the Liberal Democrats. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think Liberal Democrat Voice itself was on WordPress sort of right from right from the early days. Mm. But, you know, WordPress has developed so effectively since that in a way, most of the time, I think the default question should be why not use WordPress? Absolutely. Um, and particularly, although there are, you know, there are some huge fans of Drupal, for example, I, I, I just think the ability of WordPress to span from the really easy to the quite advanced use is actually really helpful, particularly when you know building, for example, websites for clients where you might have staff in maybe a press office who need to be able to easily maintain content and need something that's really quite simple. But you need to know that you've got the full level of functionality there for the occasionally much more complicated, big annual report, new campaign, whatever opportunity. And I think WordPress spans that really well in a way that Drupal is a little bit harder. At, I mean, it's a bit like Linux in the sense that lots of really good things about it, lots of really powerful features, but it's it it's never really quite cracked making it the really easy to use out of the box system. Absolutely. Uh, I think it was about um, early 2007 that I started using WordPress for the first time. And, and that's not at the very beginning of WordPress, but um, it was obviously a lot more basic than it is mm. now. But even then, um, I mean, I, I, I've never been formally taught coding. I've, I've, I think most people are, are fairly self-taught. Mm. Um, but I was quite comfortable delving into um the different sidebar widgets at the time and, and changing code and and making my own homepage something different. So um, I think um, by its simplicity and the way that um, it was easy to edit things like that made it a lot quicker to catch on probably than things like Joomla and Drupal, as you say. Yeah, and also the way that you know, if you have a little bit of HTML knowledge or a little bit of CSS knowledge, I think WordPress makes it quite easy to begin to use, you know, let you begin to use some of those skills um, without requiring you to be able to do a, do a lot with it. 
and certainly you know just having a little bit of basic html knowledge so occasionally when you have something that just looks all wrong you can mm. delve into the view source and actually tidy up the errant spans which in my case it normally is they've suddenly started <laughs> appearing in places just just if only i could have an option to to, to completely banish spans ever from that edit box that would make life so much easier too many copy and paste of word documents yeah <laughs> uh, yeah indeed yeah. but and also you know even when you do the paste and then you go for the paste as plain text but you then have to recreate your bullet points and your hot links mm. there's one day one day somebody will really crack smart copy and pasting <laughs> we can hope yes can hope. <laughs> um so um you know that th- that's great to get your thoughts um there just on 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 where blogging's been you know wh- where it is now but um i'd like to move on to part two of our discussion mm. and, and that focuses on your thoughts on on where digital marketing really has been in general and where it's going so starting off with software i couldn't live without what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact the success of your business? Um, I guess it would be cheating to say the internet <laughs> um, and and still probably cheating to say uh, web browser, Google Chrome. Um, I, I think after Google Chrome, what else would most sort of hit me? Probably actually losing Microsoft Excel. Um, and, and the reason I say that is I just, I mean, Excel is so convenient for being able to put some data in do a bit of quick analysis to understand what are the trends what are the correlations etc to do a little bit of uh projection sometimes as to what you know what 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 the future might hold or to try to work out the present and understand uh, the past so for example yesterday i was using excel to do some analysis of a whole load of uh, data from a facebook page and trying to work out what had been driving the sentiment and how much was that related to the volume of advertising spend and just with excel it's so easy to do some simple correlation calculations to begin to plot some graphs and and begin to understand that um and excel is still i think for that a lot better than things like the the google spreadsheets uh, service that's available. Uh, so Excel would, I think, probably be a pretty big loss. That's interesting. So do you think that digital marketing in general is becoming more scientific rather than an art, a uh, traditional marketing subject? It is, but sometimes I fear it's a little bit of a veneer of it. Just to, to give you an example, something which endlessly frustrates me is the number of reviews I come across of social media management tools, which talk about how they let you schedule and optimize you know they will produce provide you know optimization recommendations as to when you should post content on facebook twitter etc and the reviews don't test those optimization algorithms so you'll read a review of some new social media management software and it'll say it's brilliant it lets you you know line up your facebook contents will automatically appear at prime time and you sort of think well the algorithms that all these different programs use cannot all be as good as each other and it's as if every reviewer ever, and I apologize if there's a listener who's thinking, no, I wrote a review where I did exactly that. But every reviewer I've ever come across simply says, oh, it's great. You have this feature that lets you optimize and never, never puts the algorithms to test. And in my own experience of testing the algorithms, I mean, some of them are quite good. Some of them are pretty ropey. I mean, if you test out some of the algorithms shortly after there's been a week with, say, some bank holidays in the UK, but not in the US, you realize actually they don't understand bank holidays. So you might get an apparent result back that Mondays is a really bad time to post. But actually, it's not Mondays are a bad time to post. It's the Monday that the software looked at was a bank holiday Monday and it's right. not programmed into take into account the bank holiday. Obviously there's some there are some really good, really clever, really advanced algorithms, but 
I think it just epitomizes how people often like to talk about being scientific and rigorous, but don't always really follow it through. And what software don't you use, but you've meant to try at some point? You've heard good things about and you've perhaps meant to try in the future. Um, oh, that's a good one. I think probably Civi CRM. Um, it, I mean, I guess it's got a reputation a bit like Drupal, that it's got a little bit of a steep learning curve. And it's not always the most user-friendly of packages. But in terms of being able to power so many different bits of online functionality and online marketing and online activity with a good CRM database at its heart, uh, you know, CR, uh, Civi CRM has some really big fans and I've never really got around to using it myself. Okay, good tip. I haven't tried that one myself either. I wish I would have. Now, I'd like you to look back on the very first day mm. that you're involved in trying to market a business online. Yeah. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I think I wish I would have understood scale better. So if, for example, something's growing at you know whatever percent a week or whatever percent a month, if you extrapolate that out, is that actually going to get to the sort of level that will make a difference in a reasonable time scale? Mm. I think it's very easy to get sucked into staring at short-term, almost tactical analysis of data and fail to think about the bigger picture. Well, is this has this got the potential to be on a big enough scale to move things? Has this got the potential to grow to the level it needs to grow to? So I think learning about that need to understand scale and context certainly was one of my early lessons. And do you still see that kind of mistake made by digital marketing newbies that you encounter today? I think so. And I, I, I think you see that particularly when... Uh, people are working with sort of larger or, or established brands or products and they're talking about uh, online activity and how many people maybe their uh, Twitter campaign has engaged with, etc. And then you take a step back and compare it with the number of customers that company has and you sort of think, well, is this really happening on a scale big enough to have the sort of overall impacts that are being talked about or not? Um, so I think, yeah, remembering the scale and the context is still a very important lesson. Best advice I've ever received. What is the best piece of digital marketing advice that you've ever received? Um, it's to be suspicious of whether <laughs> apparently good people are really good. <laughs> Sometimes they are. And so, you know, if in doubt, you know, imitating what Amazon does with its email marketing practices is actually not a bad approach. You know, if you've not got the time to, to, to properly work up something yourself and you just need to make a few quick decisions on something looking at how somebody like Amazon behaves is, you know, it's not a bad fallback. But then every now and again, you do come across stuff where you think just there is no way this is sensible. And certainly, you know, my experience as sort of working working with companies in the commercial sector is sometimes when you delve under the hood a bit of what they do, you realise that just because they look really impressive and successful and profitable from the outside, that doesn't mean <laughs> that they're like that on the inside at all. Interesting. Um, yes, a lot of companies also uh, follow the leader or just follow someone else just for the sake of it and um, um, or, or, or just are busy for the sake of it as well because um, there aren't too many real long-term strategic thinkers and um, I guess it's quite tough sometimes to have the time to be like that in business as well. And also I think it's quite tough for the sort of senior managers because often they will have learned through their career just in almost instinctively, what are some of the details in other areas that their company, their organization has to be getting right? So you would never see a, a, the front page of a newspaper with the wrong font used on it. Hmm. Because although that's a matter of typographical detail, it, you know, everyone all the way up to the most senior editor 
um, will you know just knows what the fonts you know what the front page is meant to look like, and so if something goes wrong. Yeah, people will spot it and understand we need to deal with it, even if sorting the problem is a technical detail that requires some real expert to delve into the bowels of some system to sort. But that similar set of instincts about the digital world, I think often the you know senior managers in large organisations don't have. They won't be able to look at the front page of, say, their company website and spot a problem that's analogous to the headline font being wrong in the same way because they learned their profession before a lot of those technologies developed. And so they haven't acquired that set of instincts. And I think acquiring that set of instincts, so although you don't know in detail how to do all of those jobs, but you can have a good sniff of actually there's maybe something not quite right with our website team or there's something not quite firing right with our email team, I think is a really important skill for senior managers. So do you find, um, even now, when you speak to certain senior managers that have been around for a long time, that they're a little bit scared of online marketing and perhaps a little bit protective of their own existing procedures? I think there can be a bit of that. With online marketing, because it's generally quite easy to relate marketing to financial bottom line, it's often quite easy to overcome those issues and you know because you can talk the sort of language that people are used to talking where it's often a, a little bit tougher is when you're talking about using the online world for example for reputation management so to protect a reputation or to enhance a reputation which is hugely valuable and has an effect on the financial bottom line but it's a little bit harder to turn into the sorts of conversations that people are used to than the more sort of narrowly defined digital marketing the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut reaction. Ready to go? Okay. okay. Yeah, far away. Email or Twitter? Uh, email. Audio or video? Audio. Affiliates or display advertising? Display advertising. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Websites. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. Local marketing or global marketing? Local marketing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the toughest one. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough that's a tough one. <laughs> so um moving on to the ten thousand dollar question. If I was to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend it um over the next few days on a single digital marketing activity, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Um I think I would be self-indulgent and send myself on a proper programming crash course. Because mm. uh, I've never really learnt to program properly. I, I used to write batch files quite often back when I had an IT job to help automate things, some of which actually got really quite impressively complicated. And I can muck around a bit um, with yeah, with HTML code and CSS and, and, and that sort of stuff. But I've never really learned properly to program. And just every now and again, I think, actually, you know, it'd be quite useful to be able to do that. So I think I would go for the, uh, not the self-indulgent option, because obviously investing in your skills is the (laughs) long-term sensible option. Uh, But I think I would do that. Any particular programming language? Or are you talking about HTML5 or perhaps app development? Um, Oh, I guess... 
I guess I think PHP would, would be my first right. first choice because that's used to power so much of web technology and where you're wanting to sort of hack around, produce your own demo apps, see what can be done with APIs, do extra stuff with WordPress, etc. I think PHP is probably a good a good choice, although not being a proper programmer, I fear I've, I may have selected an option there. There's a whole load of people thinking, oh my goodness, this, <laughs> no, this language is completely wrong, but I think PHP would be a good one. I mean, I mean that's um, an open source language, of course, as well, so it's, it's commonly used. I think, I think my PHP extends to something like PHP include, <laughs> and that's it. That's well, all if I, I can know. get a two-for-one uh, offer then on the training course, I'll certainly let you come along. <laughs> oh, very nice. I might take you up on that, as long as it's not too complicated <laughs> well um lovely okay so um that's um just about it um just time for my number one takeaway so mark you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation but what's the number one takeaway what's the single most imp- important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses mm, don't stop learning um, i think whether the world is slow speeding up or slowing down there is so much uh, that is applicable to marketing from digital technologies through to behavioral economics through to why the cultural trends there are yeah you can never know enough and so just keep on learning excellent well thanks mark thanks so much for your time your focus and your willingness to give back my pleasure well what's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do uh you can you can find me on my own website www.markpack.org.uk uh, or at my place of work is blue rubicon of course we have a company website which is bluerubicon.com wonderful thanks again hey thanks so much for joining us today on digital marketing radio Remember, you can get every interview before it's published as a podcast, delivered as a weekly digital magazine, automatically to your tablet or smartphone. And that's for Apple or Android. Just go to digitalmarketingradio.com for links to where you can subscribe and join the rest of the Digital Marketing Radio posse. Catch you again soon. Digital Marketing Radio.